Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Never seen the sky so blue. The birds are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, 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 hey. Mm, it's a sunny day. Sunny day now. My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare. But call me illogical, I just don't care. Hey, 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 hey. KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. Taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 57500. Our next texter, Ton, says they're wondering what would be the best way to grow a micro tomato by seed, or can they find starts? You'd probably have to grow them from seed, but they're not difficult. Okay. So there's a variety called Micro Tom that you can find online that will get 18 inches high and wide. And so you can grow it in a six to eight inch wide pot. Which is why it's called Micro? Yes, Micro Tom. Okay, okay. okay. And so you grow it in this little pot and it will take three or four months to get going. Mm -hmm. But you can just grow it in a windowsill and as long as it's getting, you know, like a south window or a west window, You'll get little mini tomatoes all winter long out of it, and you can almost grow it like a house plant. Hmm. There's a few others. There's another one called Microtina, but that one I can't really find anymore. Hmm. Um, but Micro Tom is one, and there's a few others out there that are really small. But regular seeding, they don't take any special anything. No, they will benefit from some from from supplemental lighting. So you know, you've got your little microgreen growing kit on your desk, you know, something with those fluorescent bulbs or mm-hmm. LEDs over the top would help. But even if you leave it in a windowsill, it would probably be just fine. Okay. So are we taking any bets on this big tomato plant that I pulled into my garage on whether I'm actually going to get any tomatoes on it? It had blossoms, but it's huge. It was planted in that huge, con- in a huge container. And I put too much, I'm pretty sure, for over-fertilized it. So it had a lot of beautiful green foliage. And not till the end of the season did I start seeing some buds on there. So what what's your bet on that? Am I going to get any if tomatoes If it is on kept at above 70 degrees, 70 oh, or above, you probably will. If it's cooler than that, it won't die, but it won't produce. Okay. So I'll give it a few weeks and see how it does. Yeah. All right. Michael is on the line in Bountiful. Good morning, Michael. What is your question? Uh, I just want to prepare my lawn for winter and snow. I've kept it very long during the summertime, which worked out quite well. I've been told that I should cut as as short as possible. Just like to know what your advice is. You don't need to scalp it, but I would, you know, if you're mowing at two and a half or three inches, I would mow at an inch and a half or two inches and just take the extra grass off. And the reason you're doing that is, is the lawn 
is very susceptible susceptible to a disease called snow mold that when we get snow cover and especially if the ground is not frozen the that fungus or the, there's actually multiple that cause similar symptoms thrives under there so get the leaves off of it if you've got a lot of leaves i know that a lot of them haven't really started to fall yet but uh, then the other thing you would do is maybe a late fall fertilizer application. Okay. All right. That's what I anticipated. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Michael, for your call this morning. Let's talk for a minute about leaves, Ton. Um, leaves are something you don't want to let sit on your lawn, especially if your lawn can't breathe. Correct. If there's just a smattering of leaves and you have a small leaf or a medium-sized leaf every three or four inches, that's fine. You know, that's not going to harm anything. But if you have so many leaves that you can hardly see the grass or you can not see the grass, those need to be taken off the lawn because as it rains and snows, that will create a layer that will smother your grass and really create opportunities for things like snow mold and other rotting diseases to get in there. Now, there's articles flying all over social media right now saying, leave your leaves in place because they will help the insects. And in many situations, they will, but just not on your lawn. And so putting leaves on your flower beds and in your garden area and leaving them for the winter is fine. You know, there are things that will naturally start to break those down a bit, you know, centipedes. And we talked about potato bugs earlier and a few things like that. Mm -hmm. And that will create some habitat, but it's just, I always see these articles about how we're, you know, all supposed to do this and they don't go into the nuances behind maybe some of the exceptions and it's all about feel good instead of science. And you don't leave those leaves on your lawn unless there's just a light layer. Yeah, I know. Uh, once the leaves have fallen, uh, Dave has just said mulch them, which is what I was going to say. Uh, my husband will just take the mower. He's got a mulcher on there and he will mulch them. Yes, I w- I will do is use my leaf blower and blow them into piles. And then I run my mower over them with without a bag and just back and forth and chop them finely as I can. Then I collect them with my bag and put them into my garden or wherever I'm going with them because when they're chopped up, they're so much easier to work into the soil than these big fluffy leaves. And so if you're working them into the soil, I would recommend mowing over them like your husband does just so that they're easier to work with. Right. And, and you know, if you are just throwing them out, they, you compacted them to a point where they're actually kind of reasonable instead of bags and bags and bags of leaves. So, I mean, if you are at the point that you can't use them, I would recommend bagging them and putting out on social media in your neighborhood that you have free bagged leaves. Chances are somebody will show up to get them. Talk about the benefits of putting those leaves, mulched leaves, into your flower beds or to your vegetable garden. You can use them a few ways. If you've chopped them up, you can use them as a mulch and just leave them right on top. What they'll do if you if they last through spring into the summers, help prevent weeds and help hold soil moisture, and they will break down and add organic matter to the soil. But if you work them into the soil, they act just like compost, and they'll decompose over the winter. And especially in clay soil, they'll open it up a little bit and create some drainage and airspace. In sandy soil, they actually help sandy soil hold a little bit more water just because it's so free draining. And so no matter what, they're going to be beneficial. 
So when do you work them into the soil? You work them in uh, when it, it's not muddy, wet, and you can still yeah, work the soil. you don't want soil. that slop. That's not going to Yes, work. and that's actually really harmful to soil. If the ground is frozen or you can't, just put them in place and till them in in the spring. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. We'll take a break. Come back with more of your questions. Number to text us, 57500. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and Get ready, because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. Our phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. We were talking about mulching those falling leaves, Ton, and you said that there were some concerns uh, that you had seen on social media about certain kinds of leaves. Does it really matter what kind of leaf it is that you're mulching? It does not. There, I've there's been in the horticulture world for a long time that say walnut leaves. Oh, you don't put those in your garden because they might prevent certain things from germinating and growing. And I've been putting walnut leaves in gardens for years and never seen any detrimental effect. But I also found, I listened to a podcast called In Defense of Plants. It's kind Mm -hmm. of a, it's truly a plant nerds podcast. (laughs) It's more about botany and ecology and not so much about tomatoes and things, but it gives you a broad overview about plants that helps you dial in a little bit sometimes what's going on in your yard or the history behind why something does well or it doesn't. And in this In Defense of Plants podcast, they have an episode on walnuts and the ecologist that was on was like, you know, I researched the original research that said these things might be harmful. And he pretty much says, I think it is probably bunk. It, it's There's no real hard scientific evidence that walnut leaves are in any way bad. And just in my personal experience, anecdotal evidence, I've tilled walnut leaves into gardens and never seen a detrimental effect. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it maybe had something to do with the, just the amount of walnut leaves and if that yes, would make a difference. It wouldn't. And besides, you're putting them in the fall. And the chemical that's blamed on this is called juglone, which is absolutely in those leaves, but it is, when I say organic, it's carbon-based and is broken down by soil microorganisms rather quickly, and so it's just never really been a problem. And so I would say that most any leaf, as long as it doesn't have diseases on it, is fine to compost or put into your flower beds. Okay, let's talk for a minute about tilling your soil. You're talking about working leaves into your vegetable garden, but you also don't like us to overwork no, the soil. we are against recreational tilling on this show. 
<laughs> Explain Fall why that is. and recreational tilling. <laughs> or a no-no. Yes. And so recreational tilling is when you're tilling because you kind of makes you feel like manly. It looks or, nice. Like you've, you've accomplished something. Yes. Don't do it for that reason. And it will destroy especially silty and clay soil. It, tilling in those kinds of soils, especially, you're twice a year max in the spring and fall. And so you take advantage of that tilling to the, the utmost so that you can do everything you need to do. I you can't know, even imagine who has that much time that they can recreationally till. Oh, I mean, I, if my soil got tilled twice a year, that would be a miracle. You know, I growing up, we had sandy soil, which was fortunate because you can't really ruin soil texture too much on sandy soil. And my dad bought a new tiller and it was an expensive tiller and he was going to get his money out of it. (laughs) And so I remember standing out in that garden for years, holding back tomatoes and holding back the green beans so he could run his tiller up and down to get the weeds out. And if that would have been a clay soil, (laughs) it would have ruined it. Right. And so even though you've got that really nice tiller, I would rather see you go from house to house and help your neighbors (laughs) and not overtill your own soil. So right now with those leaves, how should they be handling them? Uh, that's still, Is the tiller just still the a, way to go, or are you just talking about you know turning it, them into? I the- think that if you have a big garden, it's the only practical way to do it. Okay, but if you have a little ten by twelve or ten by fifteen area, and you are in shape, I think that using a digging fork or a shovel and you can turn those in. It doesn't need to be totally turned in. If you have soil on top of those leaves, even if they're partially exposed, they'll break down. So just slightly mixing them, lightly mixing them into the soil is sufficient. I like how I like how you put in there if you're in shape. Oh, you the greatest the best way to have a heart attack is to try to hand dig your garden. If you've got a big garden, you know, it used to be, you know, the British like this double digging and all these different techniques. Man, I mean, the hardest things I've ever done are try to hand turn a garden that's a big garden and hand cut sod. That's another one that will get you in the hospital quickly if you're not if you're not in good shape yes your upper arm upper body strength needs to be your core and so just because of the size of gardens my cardiologist actually a year or two ago said well given your health and everything you have going on i would invest in a rototiller and a snowblower oh so (laughs) it's just one of those things i think that with gentle persistent exercise you could build up to it but these are things you don't attempt if you're out of shape Okay, our next listener says they need a four-foot-wide columnar uh, on the south side close to their house. Uh, they want something reddish, like they're wondering about a crimson point purple leaf plum. Wow. Maybe. Cool. It would probably eventually outgrow the area, but their their requirements are so specific that there's going to be very little to nothing that fits the bill. There oh. are plants to get four feet wide but when you start putting all these qualifiers on top of that it becomes extremely difficult to do and so that would be about the only thing but i think eventually it may still get a little wide for what they want i mean there's fine line um uh not sumac what am i thinking uh tall buckthorn fine line buckthorn tall hedge buckthorn that would fit the bill but they're green so tell me about this crimson point purple leaf plum. It's We were talking about the purple leaf plums at the break, and it's just a purple leaf plum that genetically is super narrow. Oh, okay. 
And so it's just something that will grow in narrower spaces. And so it does have some really narrow branch angles. You may need to wrap it like you would an arborvita or juniper in the winter to keep it from splitting out. Mm-hmm. Following uh, the top of the hour news, we're going to be talking with J.D. Gunnell about uh, pulling out your perennials uh, and cutting back, or excuse me, cutting back your perennials, pulling out your annuals. But we do have someone right now, a texter who wants to know, is it too late to transplant black eye Susans or other perennials? No. They need to die back. And once they've died back, you can divide them and move them. And we're actually... We may need to hold J.D. through, but I was also going to talk to him about the appropriate time to, to divide perennials because there's some you want to do in the spring and some you want to do in the fall. Mm-hmm. My mom, some of my moms are just looking beautiful now. Yes, and those are ones that you divide in the spring because they bloom in the fall, and so they'll also have time to get reestablished all summer long. Okay, people need to know. We're going to go in-depth with J.D. coming up following the top of the hour news about 10.07 there. Um, So transplanting perennials, you can do that until the ground is frozen? Yes, you can. And even, well, once it's frozen, it's too difficult. But late fall into early winter is the time to do a lot of different perennials. You can do grasses. And the dividing line there is when it blooms. If it's spring blooming, you divide it in the fall. If it's fall blooming, divide it in the spring. But J.D. can get onto all that. He helps maintain the gardens at the USU Botanical Center and does a lot of this. He has whole fact sheets out on grasses and how to divide them. And so we'll leave the nitty gritty to him. But yeah, the basic rule is there. Most things you can divide in the fall and be okay. But what we're going for is flower production as soon as possible. And so if you divide a spring blooming plant in the spring, you are probably going to delay the Uh, blooming time after it's divided to where it's recovered enough to start producing blooms again. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. Let me remind you that on our KSL Greenhouse Facebook page right now, you will find an article on paper bark maple, which was the plant of the week at the top of the hour at 8 o'clock. You can see this beautiful tree and learn more about it as well. Uh, You can find out more information on preserving the harvest that we talked about at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. And we do these features at the top of every hour following the news. So if you want more information on the features that we cover, the topics that we cover after the top of the hour news, you can find those on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We'll be back following the top of the hour news. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.